Well, good evening. Make sure we're turned on there. I think we are. There we go. It is good to be here and good to be with you again. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit of a story, and some of you may remember, some of you might not. Last year, uh, I was invited to speak here and showed up and came in the building, and there was nobody here. And I thought, man, my reputation precedes me. Um, but what had happened, apparently due to the heat, there had been a power outage, and, and they were, no, everybody was told to stay home. But uh, by the time we got through the service, some of you had showed up, and we had a good crowd. And so it was, uh, was a good time, and I appreciate the invitation to be back with you uh, tonight. Um, my uh, situation is a little bit different this week. Normally, if I was driving to Buford from LJ, there's some nice pretty back roads you can take, but uh, I'm at home visiting family in Columbus this week, and uh, it was all interstate all the way up here, and I don't care if you leave at midnight or lunchtime or whatever it is, uh, there is always traffic, and so, but, um, you know, thank the state of Georgia for the Peach Pass. We were able to get up here and make it and, and be with you tonight, and uh, like I said, I appreciate the invitation. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. That's where we're going to be here tonight. Um, I was uh, pretty excited when I got the topic list from Kyle earlier this year because in LJ, our theme uh, for the year, 2023, is that I may know him, taken from Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, which I believe is not only the climax of the chapter of Philippians chapter 3, but uh, perhaps of the entire letter itself. I think it tells us and reminds us what being a Christian is, is all about. And so I'm excited to explore this chapter with you a little bit uh, this evening. But before we can ever dive into a chapter, and you guys know this, you're good Bible students, you never study a verse you never study a chapter. You really don't even study a book in a vacuum. Um, it's important that we understand the context and the setting uh, of which these things are being written. And so we can't just open up to Philippians 3 and say, here's what it says. We have to know what's going on around that. And so what I'd like to do just for a couple minutes with you this evening is, <clears throat> is take you back uh, to the ancient city of Philippi and, and learn just a little bit uh, about it. Book of Philippians, as uh, we study, we know a lot about uh, the ancient city there of, of Philippi. It was actually uh, named after um, Philip II of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great in 356 B.C. Uh, about six years before that, the city had been founded, but it was just sort of a fledgling area there. And when uh, Philip II came through and, and, and sort of took over and um, conquered it. It was named after him. He was very uh, happy to take over this city because it was full of gold mines. And throughout its history, more and more gold has been discovered there. And uh, Philip II, while he was ruling, actually established a mint there. And this was a very, very wealthy city uh, in ancient times. And so it went on and uh, continued to be part of the Macedonian Empire until these guys named the Romans came in. Uh, when they took it over, they broke up um, Macedonia into four sections, and the, the capital was in uh, Amphipolis, which we're going to read about uh, in Acts chapter 17. When Paul leaves Philippi, uh, that's the next place that he goes. He goes through Amphipolis and Apollonia and uh, into Thessalonica. But <clears throat> this city is really important in Roman history because of what happens in 42 B.C. You know the great story, whether you know it from literature or from history, uh, in just a, a little bit before this, on uh, 
Do you remember what day in history I'm going to go to? The 15th of March when Julius Caesar was uh, betrayed by the Roman senators and the, the big conspirators in that are Brutus and Cassius. Well, after the death of Julius Caesar, we saw the establishment of what was called the Second Triumvirate. The Second Triumvirate, uh, it was Lepidus, who was the third wheel in this deal, right? Two, uh, some great rivals, Octavian, who would later become Caesar Augustus, and Mark Antony. And so the second triumvirus, they pinned down Brutus and Cassius in 42 BC, and it is the city of Philippi where this great battle takes place. The second triumvirate wins, and Brutus and Cassius are defeated and killed in the city of Philippi. And so uh, as, as it would go from there, the city not only becomes a, a place where a great battle was one, it becomes a, a home and a refuge for um, people that are retired from service as Roman soldiers. It gets all the rights of a Roman colony and it becomes a very, very Roman city full of veterans and uh, a very important place and a place where um, Caesar Augustus would, would send people to live. It's important, I think, that we know that background because when we read about um, Paul traveling there, Acts chapter 16, uh, you may remember, we even sing about it in the song, Send the Light, don't we? It's the great Macedonian call. And they, they are called to go there. In Acts chapter 16, Paul shows up. <coughs> the first person that he meets is a woman, and she is uh, there actually leading a, a group of women worshiping by the river and uh, he meets her, and you may remember her name being Lydia in Acts chapter 16, and she uh, becomes a Christian. And, and right there, I put, I put this, that Paul traveled there, and it began a relationship of love and liberal giving. And the reason that I say it started in Acts chapter 16 is because immediately, right after she comes out of the water, she says, I want you to come to my house. And so Paul has a place to stay and he has a place to, to, to live, and he has a place to go. And, and that sort of begins the relationship. And if you continue to read there in Acts chapter 16, you can turn over there for just a minute if you want to. We'll read one quick passage. Paul and Silas are there, and they are continuing to work. But then they get uh, a little bit of a problem, and they end up in prison. And I, and I love this story. Starting in verse 25 of Acts 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Man, I love that story. Paul and Silas have the opportunity to escape with all the rest of the prisoners, but instead they stay. And the, and the man comes down, and he starts to study with them, and that night, he becomes a Christian. Can you imagine the, the cool stories in the city of Philippi? 
You could probably, somebody here, the elders or somebody who's been here a long time could tell me how the church started here in Buford. Um, I'm sure that when this church started, somebody tell me what year the church started, Bob, I bet you know. Yeah, so the church started, I'm sure, when Atlanta was a lot different place to live in the 70s, and Gwinnett County is probably not quite as crowded. You started the church and you started, that's a cool story. But tell me the story about how, yeah, the church started, and our first member was a jailer who was about to fall on his sword, but Paul and Silas showed him who Jesus was. And so I really feel like that the church at Philippi had this very special, uh, unique, wonderful relationship with Paul and we know that because we see on at least three occasions that they sent him a financial gift even though they were a small congregation they they took care of him he's going to talk about that in in chapter four and so uh, he's imprisoned again by the time we get to the, the writing of this this is probably some 12 or 13 years after the establishment of the church where Paul is writing this letter and, and he finds himself in jail again or under house arrest you might say and his, his case is about to be heard by Caesar. And so this is a time of, of unrest and of, certain, of uncertainty and of worry. But if you notice, and I put this up there because I think it's fascinating, throughout this time of uncertainty and of worry, Paul uses the words joy and rejoice 17 times in four chapters. In a relatively short letter, 17 times he uses those phrases. And so I think it's important for us as we understand the, the, the context of the letter to understand exactly what's going on. And, and, and as a preacher, I couldn't help but do this. I think there's some verses in here that you might want to notice if you're <clears throat> ever putting lessons together or studies together. I call this some verses that will preach. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you, or I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Certainly that shows the the power of the relationship there. As we are united as brothers and sisters in Christ, certainly it's important to say that we rejoice when we think of each other. Verse 21 of that same chapter, right? This is one that you are familiar with. Verse 21 of Philippians 1, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 27, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Get over to chapter 2. Um, Philippians chapter 2 might be my favorite chapter in the Bible. And it is so amazingly practical. He starts in the first four verses there by talking about the unity that we share in the Spirit, that we need to be like-minded and that we don't need to do anything out of selfish ambition. Look at verse 4, though. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And how much easier it would be if everybody did that, right? And in verse 5, he says, I want you to keep this same attitude, this same mindset that Christ Jesus had. And talks about him humbling himself and becoming obedient even to the point of death and the death of the cross. And in verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
If that verse doesn't make, make you want to shout amen, I don't know what would. Man. And then uh, verses 14 through 16, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Powerful verses. Then uh, verses 4 through 7 of chapter 4, I don't have to even tell you what those say. It says to rejoice, and then it says to not be anxious about anything, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then that peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Then you get over to Philippians 4 and chapter 4 and verse 8. My dad is here with me tonight. He wrote up with me. This is his favorite verse in the Bible. It talks about the, the way and what we should focus on. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Imagine having to listen to that all the time when you were growing up, right? And then, of course, we get down to the final section that is so important, and we get down to verse 13. It says, I can do all things, or I can endure all things, maybe it should say, through Christ who gives me strength. There's so much power, there's, there's so much punch packed in this letter and I love it but those are some verses that'll preach if you're ever thinking about going through Philippians and then just really quickly um, this is this is the this is the unauthorized Jeremy outline of chapter 3 uh, most of your Bibles if you see they'll be subdivided into two sections um, and I wanted to give a little more detail and this is just to help you think about it maybe help you read it and study it because we don't have time to dig into the depths of every verse my buddy Josh was here last week, and I was told he didn't have a chance to get all the way through his, so we want to do that. So the first two verses talk about guarding against false teachers. Uh, we had this same problem in the Galatian church. We had this same problem in the Corinthian church, right? The Judaizing teachers, they come in, they demand that, yes, you can be a Christian, and yes, you can have liberty in Jesus, but you also need to follow those old teachings of the law. They demanded physical circumcision from these Christians. And Paul says, no, no, that's, that's not what it is. So he tells them to be on guard against the false teachers. In verses 3 through 6, he's going to talk about the futility of the flesh. The futility of the flesh. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the idea that if I boast in anything other than Jesus Christ, my boasting is in vain, right? Verses 7 through 11, he talks about gain and loss. Those of you that are um, economists, you can think about gain and loss and the relationship with that and risk and reward and all those things. And Paul's going to say, yeah, I lost a lot, but man, what I gained was so much more important. Verses 12 through 14, he's going to talk about pressing on towards the upward call in Christ Jesus. Verses 15 through 19, he's going to give us a beautiful example to follow. Paul's going to say, you need to follow my example. And in verses 20 and 21, he's going to remind us that our citizenship doesn't exist in this world. Yesterday was the 4th of July. We celebrated our independence. Anybody lose any fingers last night? Everybody still got their appendages intact? 
we shoot off fireworks and, uh, and, you know, beautiful thing. We celebrate our citizenship July 4th, 1776 at Declaration of Independence. Anybody know when it was actually signed? History teachers? Not until December of that year. But, um, and so we, we celebrate that. But, yeah, I'm proud to be an American too. But if next week our country fell, if Canada came in and they, in those goofy Mountie outfits, they conquered us and took us over, we would still be Christians because our citizenship is in heaven. Paul reminds them of that. So uh, just, just a brief little outline if you're interested in kind of keeping up with those things. Um, a good way to think about it. But, but the main theme of this chapter is what I put at the top there. It's the idea of the flesh versus the spirit. We sing the song, Light the Fire, right? My spirit is willing, but my flesh is so weak. That's the battle that we fight all the time, right? Think about Galatians chapter 5, uh, when Paul talks about the spirit and the flesh, right? We don't, we don't want to give in to those things of the flesh that guide us. We want to live by and, and develop and manifest and exude, which I believe we talked about last year during the summer series, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, all those important things that the Bible talks about. And so when we think about that, we're trying to harness and trying to figure out how can I be a person who is more in tune with being led by God, by being led by the spirit that lives within me and by becoming more like Jesus. And that leads us, I believe, to what is the climax of this entire book and, and especially of this chapter. It's Philippians chapter 3 and we're going to start reading uh, in about verse 9. Actually, we're going to start in verse 7. We'll get a broader context here. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If you're an underliner in your Bible, I want you to under that, underline that. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Uh, the NIV uses garbage there. Some of your other ones may use uh, even more decorative words. Some of them might say dung. Some of them might say manure. Um, I, I read uh, last year in, in a commentary about 10 pages debating which word is actually more accurate, dung or manure. That's a very interesting study if you're ever interested in it. But, and, you know, some people say that the Greek word has its origin in rotting hay that becomes, uh, this is great. He says, everything that doesn't have to do with Jesus, I threw it away like trash or rubbish or, or, or dung or manure that's supposed to be expelled and done away with forever. <laughs> that sounds really good until you start thinking about that. Paul said everything about my life, and we're going to talk about more what he meant in a minute, everything about my life, I have thrown it away so that I can know Jesus. And he really did, folks. He really did, if we, if we think about it. We'll talk about it more in a second. 
So he said, I've counted all that loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. I consider it garbage that I may gain Christ and be found. Here's another important phrase. In him. I want to be found in him. When we become a Christian, we do a lot of things. We, we are, Galatians says we are clothed with Christ. But we also, as John 15 tells us, we begin to live and abide in Jesus. In Jesus. It's a mutual, reciprocal relationship. He lives in us and we in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, remember the beginning of the chapter, I want, well, excuse me, that comes from God on the basis of faith. But this is verse 10. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Some of the other translations use this phrase. I've given that up so that I may know him. I want to know Christ, that I may know him. How can I know Jesus? This is one of those things that um, has been debated in religious circles, right? We have some of our uh, denominational friends that, that like to say things like, I want to have a, um, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my personal savior. And we have rebelled against that terminology because we know that leads to very dangerous false teaching and things that are wrong about God's salvation, that, that we don't accept Jesus into our heart, even though that is certainly a part of it, but instead we obey his plan for salvation. That we, that we study God's word, that we repent of our sins, we make the great confession that Jesus is the son of God, and our sins are washed away in baptism. Just as Jesus was buried and rose again, we are buried and we rise again to walk a new life. We, we know that the Bible teaches that. But there is an idea then where we figure out, how can I know Jesus? I walk around and I wear his name. I say, I am a Christian. I belong to Jesus. I go to the church of Christ, the church that belongs to Jesus. So how then can, if I belong to him and I'm in him and I put him on, how can I, how can I know him? Well, the Bible is going to tell us two very simple ways. How can I know Jesus? To know one, the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. Folks, we're going to know and experience the power of Jesus' resurrection in two ways. If you're a Christian here tonight, when you were baptized for your sins and you came out of that water, you not only symbolically, but in a very real way, were born again just like Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Just like God took the sting of death away from his son, it's been taken away from us as well. So we know the power of his resurrection. But in the book of Titus, Paul in his letter writes about uh, two, he uses the Greek word epiphania, which we get our English word epiphany. Those are appearing, that Jesus appeared in the flesh, but yet he will appear Again, that's in Titus chapter 2, if you're interested in that, in that study. In that second appearing, when the skies open, we hear the sounding of the trumpet, and the graves are, are open, and those that are still alive, we, we, we are raised up in the air. Then, and only then, will we truly know the power of his resurrection. Amen?
you can say it louder, amen? The power of his resurrection. That's the fun part. If I got up here and I preached that sermon, I want to know Jesus and I want to know his resurrection, man, we would leave here pumped. We'd be so excited that I experienced the resurrection of my baptism and when Jesus comes back, I'm going to experience again. So, so let's, let's be fired up and let's love him and let's live a Christian life. But Paul says there's two ways you got to know Jesus. The power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. Well, that's not nearly as fun to talk about, is it? He says here, he spells it out for us. You've got to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining resurrection from the dead. If I want to be like Jesus in his resurrection, I've got to be willing to be like him in his death. Paul did that, didn't he? Paul knew Jesus. He met him on the road to Damascus. He left everything behind. He was baptized. He experienced the power of his resurrection, and then throughout the whole rest of his life, he experienced his sufferings. Go read 2 Corinthians in chapter 11 where it gives us that full uh, catalog of all the things that happened to him and all the things that he experienced and went through. Uh, he says, if you want to know Jesus, you've got to be willing to go through the suffering to experience the true power of the resurrection. I, I love this. I love this chapter of the Bible. It's Philippians chapter 3. It's, it's so powerful. But I want to make it very practical for us. So what do I want? What's my goal? My goal is to know him. How do you do that? I've, I've come up with, with a few ways here. Very practical, very real ways. Number one, studying his word. Seems like a very simple thing, but we're bad at it. My senior year of high school, I don't know if you know this story, Dad. My senior year of high school, there was a, a girl, I think she was a sophomore, and she wasn't able to drive, and so we were going to go on a date. So I, uh, I got in my 1995 F-150 that my dad had given me, and uh, it was a really nice car, fancy Eddie Bauer edition, Then I totaled it when I was a teenager, sorry about that. Um, but uh, So I went over there, and I went to, to pick her up, and I remember somebody saying that she went to the Methodist church in town. What they failed to mention was that her dad was the preacher at the Methodist church in town. So we went in, and... Uh, you know, I was mesmerized by her beauty, of course, and sat down on the couch, and her dad, the very first question he said was, now, where do you go to church? I almost converted to the Methodist church right then, I want you to know, but I stayed strong, and I said, I go to the, to the Rose Hill Church of Christ. The Rose Hill's preacher, Nathan's going to be here with you at the end of the summer series, and, and his eyes got big, and he said, oh, the Church of Christ, you guys know your Bible." And so for about 30 minutes, we sat there and we talked about the Bible. We went out on two dates and didn't, didn't work out, but I always think about that. That, man, when I was 18 years old or 17 years old, probably at that time, I walked in and that man said, that kid grew up in the Church of Christ, he knows his Bible. If our teenagers face that situation today, do you think that that preacher from that denominational church would say, man, this kid probably knows the Bible. I worry about that. 
I teach our teenagers at LJ a couple quarters a year on Wednesday night. And, um, not only is the knowledge not there, the desire for the knowledge is not where it used to be. I'm thankful for programs like Lads to Leaders and Leadership Training for Christ and all, all these programs that, that teach our kids, but they got a lot of trophies, but man, I don't know if they know the Bible. We said a generation ago, well, we don't want these kids to just keep regurgitating memory verses and information. Let's stop doing memory verses. The reason that I know the Bible the way I do is because when I was a kid, you learned memory verses. You wanted to walk out of class with that piece of candy, so you learned the memory verse. It might have just been Jesus wept, but you were thinking about it, right? As adults, do we know the Bible like we ought to? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the very beginning, it says there that God's word is, is it's, it's God-breathed. It is, it is literally from the mouth of God, and it is what we need to live and to survive. We, we got to know it. We got to know it. I even come up with a little bit of a pattern here. We've been working through this at LJ this year, these, these different ways to know more about Jesus, right? Um, study Jesus as God and man. Exploring Jesus as creator and as deity while also studying his incarnation. We, 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 can, we can see him as God and as man and we learn more about him. I, I taught last year for the Georgia School of Preaching uh, a course on, on the Godhead how that all works together and I had an opportunity this past year I was offered a job at the uh, North Georgia Christian Academy as their high school Bible teacher and I went through that same class with ninth and 10th graders I might as well have been speaking Romanian to them they had no idea what I was talking about so we need to understand at a very base level who God is who Jesus is who the Holy Spirit is we need to study Jesus as the Messiah. He is uh, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, the anointed one of God. No, he didn't fulfill the expectations of the Jews of the day, but he fulfilled the scriptures. How about studying Jesus as a servant, exploring the servant heart of Jesus through healing and forgiving and things like John 17 where he washes the feet of a disciple. How about studying Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins and as the Savior of the world, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? You want to know Jesus better and who he is? Go study the last days of his life. Man, you'll know him. How about studying Jesus as Lord, the biblical theme of being a follower, a disciple of Jesus? Jesus as a storyteller. We're right now through the month of July in L.A.J. We're studying through the parables. We talked about uh, last week or two weeks ago the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, we, we've uh, talked about a number of the stories that are leading up to that. Um, and, and so it's important that we do that. I think, I think this week we're in the Good Samaritan. Last week was the Unmerciful Servant. We need to study those things. How about Jesus as a preacher? Jesus as a preacher. Uh, when I was in graduate school at Freed Hardeman, we, we had some great professors that were great preachers. and uh, We talked about history in some of the classes. I remember when Scott Harp was here, uh, he, he always talked about some of these great preachers from the past, the Gus Nichols and the Guyan Woods and the uh, VP Blacks and all these guys that were of uh, a generation or two ago. And, and I've got a lot of 
great sermons over the years from those guys. I've got Hardeman's Tabernacle sermons. I got the set in my office. But if I want to study how to be a preacher, how about studying the master preacher, Jesus, as he delivers his sermons, especially the Sermon on the Mount? How about studying Jesus as the head of the church, exploring how we fit into the structure and the organization and how we can grow together? <clears throat> how about studying Jesus? I'm looking so forward to this. We're going to do this at the end of the year, the, the I am statements in the book of John. So if I want to know Jesus, you know, if you wanted to know me, I could get up and I say, I am from this place and I am this many years old and I am this and I am that. Well, Jesus gives us that, right? In the book of John, you can, do you remember him? I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He goes through and gives us all those. I am the resurrection, all those important things that we need to know. Study about Jesus, and we can know him better. Now we get into the real tricky stuff. Turn over to 1 Peter 2. First Peter chapter 2. Starting in verse 21. Well, let's start actually in uh, verse 20. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps follow his example even in difficult situations if I want to be like Jesus I have to know who he is and how to follow as an example a couple more things we won't take a lot of time here <clears throat> obedience not a popular thing to talk about but it's simple. We obey the commands that we have been given to be like Jesus. If I want to know him, I have to be willing to obey him. And then the last thing, and I think this is tremendously important, we, we got to learn to pray like Jesus. Multiple times in the Bible, he gives us examples, right? He gives us a model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. You, you've probably quoted it before. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He also, though, later on, gives us more instructions on on how to pray, not just the model prayer, but how to pray. We, in John 17, we see him praying in his final moments. And so it's our job there to, to think about and to focus on, I think I said John 17 earlier about washing feet. That's John 13, if you were taking notes. But here in, in John 17, so, so doing these things, if I want to know him, study his word, follow his example, be obedient to him, pray, these are all really, really good things. So in all my lessons, um, I like, to, I like to, uh, to give you some background and to, to give you some observations, but then there's always a point in the lesson where the rubber meets the road. This is the application. This is the, what you need to take home. So all these things are really great. I want to know Jesus. I want to be like him. I, I want, I, here's the question that, that matters. What am I willing to sacrifice? What am I willing to give up that I may know him? The first one has to be, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, the opinions of others. Let's go back to our text in Philippians 3. 
Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. In verse 1, he actually um, hearkens back to chapter 1 and verse 27, where he gives this warning about false teachers. Well, he picks that up again. So really, he's talking about some practical stuff at the end of chapter 1. Then he goes into some theology in chapter 2. And, and really, we can connect the dots from the end of chapter 1 to the beginning of chapter 3. And so he's talking about these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh. And he says, Let's, if you want to talk about flesh... Let's talk about flesh. Let's talk about pride, right? He says, I myself have reasons for such confidence. Someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. He was circumcised in the real way. Not one of these people that did it as an adult. Not some Johnny come lately to the law. He says, on the eighth day, I was circumcised, just like the command was given. Of the people of Israel, so he's, you know, an Israelite, specifically of the tribe of Benjamin. Now go back to your Old Testament when the ten tribes um, were, were unfaithful to Jesus. There were two, or to God, excuse me, there were, there were two tribes that remained faithful, two tribes that remained strong after captivity. It was Judah and it was Benjamin. As a matter of fact, Paul's name, his given name, was Saul. And he was named after the very first king of Israel, Saul, who was from the tribe, guess which one? Of Benjamin. Um, and uh, at the Sevierville Church of Christ, I have a good friend up there who's a deacon. And uh, we went up there to visit one time, and we sat down, and I was sitting with my friend, and this tall, gray-headed guy walked up, and he said, Hey, nice to meet you. I'm George Washington. And I said, really? How old are you? Um, if you remember, George and Martha Washington did not have any um, kids, so I, I thought maybe that his family just had a, a sense of humor when they named their kid. Sorry to any little Abe Lincolns that are in here tonight. But it turns out that he was actually um, a distant relative, and um, his family had named him George Washington to, to go back to that lineage. George Washington is the father of our country. You know, he um, uh, it was, a, was a great fighter and all those things. But, you know, I, I'm glad my parents didn't name me after somebody with teeth that were made out of like 18 different materials, right? But people are proud of their lineage. And so for Paul and his family, he was named after the original king of, of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. That uh, name Hebrew means beyond the river, specifically the river Euphrates, that, that, that hey, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I am elite. He says, I am a Pharisee in regard to the law. Uh, the Pharisees, uh, you know from the New Testament, were uh, the key interpreters of the law. They descended from a group called the Hasidim, which were the pious ones. Uh, they were the strict, stringent interpreters of the law. Uh, in Jesus' day, there were two different factions of the Pharisees that were sort of feuding, but they were, they, they were people of authority. They were people of importance. They were people of significance. Interestingly, um, after the year 70 A.D. and the destruction of Jerusalem, the word Pharisee goes away, and the teachers just become 
rabbi. But, but the Pharisees were important. And Paul says, I'm a Pharisee. I'm, I'm important. I, I had all these things. As for zeal, you think you're special? I was a persecutor of the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, and this is the most important thing, I was faultless. I was, I was blameless. Paul was a rock star of the Jewish faith. He, he, he trained at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a superstar of Judaism. Can you imagine what people thought when he became a Christian? How could you do that, Paul? How could you turn your back on us? How could you leave the faith? I want to tell you, the first thing that I have to be willing to sacrifice if I want to know Jesus and to follow him is I have to forget about what anybody thinks about my decision. We have to leave behind those thoughts and opinions. The second thing goes hand in hand with that. We got to be willing, just like Paul did, to leave behind the garbage. And when I say garbage, I mean sin. We cannot straddle the fence. We cannot be people who have one foot in the church and one out. We have to leave behind the opinions of others and the garbage that holds us back, that weight, as Hebrews 12 says, that so easily ensnares us so that we can follow Jesus. And then thirdly, and I think this is so important, am I willing to sacrifice the distraction? I got to tell on myself for a minute, um, while the announcements were being made, I had a bunch of text messages coming through on my phone and I was sitting there and as I was sitting there hoping nobody saw me um, I realized that the messages that I was getting were from people who are members of the church in LJ. our church starts at 6 30 those messages were coming in about 6 57 or 8 and so I was thinking I'm not paying attention to church but these jokers really aren't paying attention in church right we are so distracted by these things this is with me 24-7. It's by my bed at night. It's with me first thing in the morning. It's everywhere with us. I know none of you do this, but some people take it in the bathroom too. We're on social media. We're on message. We're, we're doing we're, all these things. I, uh, I, should I shouldn't tell you this story, but I will. Uh, I was preparing for a lesson one Sunday on distractions actually from this text of Luke chapter 10 and we had been up to um, Blairsville from Ella to go eat at Rib Country which is a really good barbecue restaurant up there and our youth minister and I were riding back down the road and I was on the phone with one of our deacons literally talking about what the lesson was going to be about this Sunday and in my rearview mirror were the beautiful blue lights of a Georgia State Patrol and I looked down and I realized that I was doing about 80 what a great sermon illustration the Lord gave me right then. Luckily, the GSP officer was somebody that I knew, and I didn't get a ticket that day. I got a stern talking to, but we get so easily distracted by things in life, by shiny things, by expensive things, by tempting things, by beautiful things, by silly things, by time-consuming things. Just like in Luke 10, we read about, they, they, hey, hey, we got to get the table ready for Jesus we have to realize and be focused on what's important in life, and that is our spiritual journey. What am, I, what am I willing to sacrifice so that I can follow Jesus and be like him? And then the last one here, and, and this is from chapter 3 and verse 9 as we get ready to wrap up. 
Philippians 3 and 9. He said, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith. You have to choose your words carefully. I have known a lot of people in churches whose soul will be lost because of their attitude and the way that they treated others. People who came to church every Sunday, people who gave of their means, but who were so self-righteous and so self-exalting that they failed to realize the true meaning of being a disciple of Jesus. We're all guilty of it from time to time, right? Being a little self-righteous. Paul says, I give up any righteousness that comes from self so that I can be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. And so the question remains for us tonight as we, as we conclude here and we think about this chapter. I want to know him. That's the whole point of this. Paul said, I gave up everything so that I can know Jesus. And so the question I leave you with tonight in the form of an invitation is, what are you willing to give up to know him? What are you willing to sacrifice what are you willing to abandon so that you can know Christ I don't know where you are in your walk tonight uh, you may be sitting here as strong as ever uh, in the word satisfied with your faith in a great relationship with God through I hope that's the case I hope you're on fire but if you're not you have an opportunity to make that right. Whether it's in a public form tonight, something you need to make right, or privately as we sing this song, there is never a better time than now to have your relationship with God fixed and your walk with Jesus stronger than ever. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I spend my life and my occupation in the church. And the greatest benefit of that is getting to know Jesus as Savior. He came and gave his life so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. And if you haven't accepted him as your Savior, put him on in the waters of baptism. We'd love for you to do that tonight so that we could pause in the middle of this summer and celebrate your birth into Christ. Whatever your name may be, you can